0: Well, I had friends when I was in high school in preferred activities like horseback riding, electronics, or model rockets. there's a tendency sometimes to just go on and on and on talking about the same thing. And this is where someone had to tell me. you are going to tell that story twice, and that's all that people are going to want to hear it. They're going to get bored with it after hearing it more than twice. Give them, say, hey, you know, you've talked too much about that robot. Let's talk about something else. let's give some examples of things that are not perfect okay if a photographer is working for the National Geographic that would be at the pinnacle of photography career but if you go through the National Geographic you're probably gonna find some technical errors like flare in some of the pictures but overall such a great picture even though it had flare you still use the picture also if he's a science kid bring up the concept of absolute zero where all atomic motion is stopped you can never get there you can only approach it you know get the concept across of work up to a certain standard it doesn't have to be perfect it's got to be up to a certain standard well when I was a young kid there were expectations for doing things that other people want it gets back to turn taking i yeah I'd sit through church even though I thought it was boring That's something the other members of the family wanted to do. There were expectations for me not to be disruptive, and most of the time I behaved. You know, and that's just one step beyond turn-taking in board games. You've got to learn to get your turn. Sometimes you get to pick out the movie. Another time, son, brother or sister may pick out the movie we go to. Well, one of my really important teachers, Mr. Carlock, my science teacher, and he had interesting projects for me to do. And I worked on all kinds of stuff with optical illusions. And that actually helped me in some of my cattle work. Because it made me pay attention to what the animals were seeing. And then that, was, uh, that doing interesting science projects got me motivated to study. Because now I had a reason for studying. Studying was a way to get to a goal of becoming a scientist. This is where a good teacher really turns a student around. well there's a lot of problems in the sensory system distorted input sort of like uh, pictures pixelating with a bad satellite dish uh, uh, audio cutting in and out like a really bad cell phone uh, that a lot of the sensory systems are not working normally in my book the autistic brain I've got a whole big section in there on sensory issues and there's an interesting new study that's come out called Environmental Enrichment is an Effective Treatment for Autism. Now, I want to make it very clear. This does not replace ABA or speech therapy. It is an adjunct. And what's done in this, and there's a paper you can get online called Environmental Enrichment is Effective Treatment for Autism. You stimulate two senses at the same time. Like maybe you do an aromatherapy, a cinnamon, something like that. Touch carpet. You always change, always changing the pair of senses that you stimulate. And one of the senses is always one of the more primitive senses smell, touch, or balance. So there's a lot of emphasis on eight different aromatherapies. And the people were, um, children were, were uh, evaluated baseline. Controls got ABA and speech therapy. Experimentals got this additional sensory therapy. And then after uh, quite a few months, they evaluated them again. And the experimental group that had the treatment had significantly better behavior. This is a refereed scientific journal article and it uses simple household things, very simple to do. Environmental enrichment is an effective treatment for autism. You can download it online. I'll tell you some things not to do. Don't say you went to sleep because then the child might be afraid that he went to sleep. I, when I was very young, uh, we were out for a walk and came across a very flat squirrel in the middle of the road that had been run over. it was very clear that the squirrel could not be put back together again. And that made me learn not to run out in the street because I wouldn't want to be like that squirrel. And there's no way the veterinarian could do surgery and put him back together again. I mean, basically, um, you know, death of a person, they are gone. They are gone. Well, hey, Oliver Sacks is a very kindly uh, kind of professor type of person. And I, I read an article he wrote in the New York Times just before he died about, you know, going back, doing the Jewish Sabbath. And at the end of the article he was talking about, well, if A, then B, then C, which way of his life could have gone down different paths. And I started really weeping when I read that article. You know, and I'm glad it went down the path that, you know, where our paths crossed. I could barely print it out I was so um, upset No, fortunately he was writing right up until the end And he's uh, overall really satisfied with his life Well after the article appeared in the New Yorker magazine uh, Shortly after that an agent appeared that suggested that I ought to write a book And that's what brought the book thinking and pictures into being is Cameron Bright. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live. And you're
1: watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. You're
0: watching Autism Live.
1: So, thank you for joining us. We're here with The Future is Bright, and we have a very special guest, Temple Grandin. Doctor, thank you for joining us. We're it's so excited good to, be here. to have you. Thank you you just gave a great speech at the forty-sixth annual conference here in Denver Colorado and we would love to take an opportunity to just ask you a couple of questions about a hot topic for you now that is employment and helping people with autism become gainfully employed and what we can do as they're growing up uh, you know through the high school years and through those younger years maybe before they're old enough to get a real job as you'd call it, what's your advice for parents out there and what they can do with their kids today to help them?
0: The problem with autism is since they changed the guidelines for diagnosis in 2013 the spectrum has become extremely broad. At one end of the spectrum you're gonna have Silicon Valley programmers, you know really good artists, I mean really talented people and at the other end of the spectrum you're gonna have someone gonna remain nonverbal with some very severe handicaps and it's all got the same word. You see, if you diagnose a kid with dyslexia, you still have a fully verbal kid with normal intelligence. can't read. ADHD, you know, you've got the hyperactivity and attention problems. It's a much narrower spectrum if someone has ADHD or they're um, dyslexic. Autism now, you've got this huge quagmire of a spectrum. And the only time I can give a specific recommendation across the whole spectrum is that a kid's two and a half or three with no speech. You must start early intervention, 20 hours a week of one-on-one teaching. Uh, there's various ABA and other methods that work, but you've got to start and you got to start now. I can give you a canned answer. But once a child gets older, they're kind of going, merging into three different groups. What are the groups? Well, you're going to have a kid that's going to remain nonverbal with very severe handicaps. And some of the ones that look very low-functioning actually have a locked-in syndrome with normal intelligence inside. Okay. Then you have a moderate group where you've got some speech, but it isn't really normal speech. Reading might be, you know, fourth of grade level, sort of like that. And then you've got the high-end group where they often are really smart in one thing, like math okay. or art or maybe verbal. And then they have a deficit in another thing. And the education system puts too much emphasis on the deficits, not enough, not enough emphasis in building up the area of strength. Mm-hmm. If you've got a third grader that's good in math, let's give them harder math and let's introduce them to programming. Okay. Because that's something that could turn into a job. You know, the programs that are hot right now are C++ and JavaScript, Ruby, and Python. The courses are free online. But the kid's not going to get interested in that unless you introduce it. And who should be doing that? How do you recognize that you've
1: got a kid with, let's say, a great math capability or great All right, capability? so All right,
0: so you should give the kid the third grade math. He instantly learns it. Let's get the fourth grade book out. Okay. Let's get the fifth grade book out. Let's get the sixth grade book out. If he can do the college book in third grade, fine, let him. Okay. He's probably going to need special ed So reading. very early. Oh, yeah. Don't make him do baby math. He's going to get bored, and I guarantee you he'll be a gigantic behavior problem when he's bored.
1: It, it sounds like you think there might be a little bit of a coddling issue where parents are concerned. Well, oh, I think
0: there's a big coddling issue on just learning things like greeting. I'm really appalled at meetings where I um, come to a meeting here is a 12-year-old, completely and fully verbal, that does not know how to shake hands. He doesn't know how to greet. You see, the manners in the 50s were taught in a much more structured way. And teachable moments were used. Like if I picked up my potatoes uh, with my hand, and I'm not French fries, but mashed potatoes with my hand, Mother would say, use the fork. She didn't scream no. She'd say, use the fork. That's a teachable moment. Healthy
1: alternative.
0: And and, um, I was at a very fancy dinner one time at a college, and there was a 12-year-old kid there, fully verbal, and they... um, he started to eat the food with his hands. And I just said, this is a fancy dinner. You're not eating like that in front of me. You use the utensils. And he did.
1: So it's just I just gave him the out.
0: instruction. But you give the instruction. I didn't yell at him. You give the instruction. But there's a tendency to overprotect. I'm seeing too many fully verbal kids who don't know how to shop.
1: Sure.
0: Uh, they're not doing any chores in the home. Just basic things, greeting people. When I was eight years old, mother had me party hostess at her parties. And okay. I had to greet the guests and serve the snacks. So it sounds like your mother had a lot
1: of faith in your ability to just take those tasks that she was giving you and do them. Well, she you're saying, just,
0: you got to stretch these kids. Stretch you see, them. the kids okay. getting labeled autistic to babying them. And, and uh, you know, if you have a little kid, you know, that's, uh, you know, severe behaviors. I was severe behaviors when I was three years old. Sure. You know, of course, the parents would be upset about that. But then you got another kind of kid, 10 years old.